Hello, and welcome to the Librarians by the Sea podcast, presented by the Swampscott Public Library. I'm Susan Connor, and today we will be talking about one of my favorite individuals in Swampscott history, Elihu Thompson. Without Mr. Thompson, we wouldn't have the beautiful library or the graceful town hall that we have today. My guest is Sylvia Belkin, whom I'm sure many of you already know. She has been an elected town meeting member, a member of the Historic Commission, and a member of the Local Historic District Commission. And she too is a fan of Mr. Thompson. Welcome to the podcast, Sylvia. Thank you, Susan. Our Swampscott is truly a beautiful town by the sea with an interesting history of growth by commercial fishermen and an architectural history of residence by wealthy Bostonians who came here to summer. One of our most celebrated residents settled here because he had become a successful inventor and a researcher of electricity. And he was also one of the founders of the General Electric Company in Lynn. And he continues to be one of the top patent holders in America. This man never attended college, but he would serve as the president of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. He was one of the founders of the General Electric Company, along with Thomas Edison. His name is Elihu Thompson, and the home he built for himself and his family is our town hall. I want to share Elihu's history with you. He was born March 29, 1853, the second of seven children born to Daniel and Mary Ann Thompson of Manchester, England. His father was a skilled craftsman, his mother a voracious reader who encouraged Elihu to seek answers, to investigate things. The family emigrated to the United States in 1858 due to uh, high unemployment in Manchester, and they went directly to Philadelphia at that time, which was the second largest center in America, industrial center in America. Elihu started grammar school at six and finished at nine, but he had to wait until he was 13 years old to enter Central High School. He spent four years reading. Um, one of the books he read that uh, is talked of today is The Magician's Own Book, uh, a book that his mother encouraged him to read, filled with ideas uh, and lots of experimenting. He constructed his own camera. He used a telescope to study the planets um, and a great deal more. His mother was a huge inspiration for him. Edwin Houston he was his chemistry and physics instructor, and he became one of Elihu's favorite teachers. Elihu's father suffered a severe head injury while he was working as a mechanic uh, on, uh, in Cuba. Uh, on a Cuban sugar plantation. And so the family didn't have any money to send Elihu to college, and they struggled financially. As a result, Elihu was invited to become an instructor at Central High School, where he taught chemistry and electricity. In his spare time, when he had spare time, he built a pipe organ, he set up a dock room at the school, he developed photographic plates, and he made prints, he constructed a microscope, grounded his own lenses, 
played the cornet, which he taught to play himself, played chess, and wrote poetry. In his early 20s, um, Elihu traveled to Europe and, uh, and especially loved Paris, where he saw street lighting for the first time at the Place de Opera. It was done with something called alternating current, which we call AC today. And he discovered something else called arc lighting in a Paris railway station. Elihu returned to America filled with excitement regarding the potential of electricity. And at this time in America, electrical research was huge. So Elihu paired off with his, uh, his uh, professor, um, Tom Houston, and he and Elihu formed a partnership, uh, became the Thompson-Houston Association, and they worked together on scientific projects. Thompson was introduced by Houston to become a member of the American Philosophical Society and the Franklin Institute, both of which still exist today. And Thompson internalized that observation, experimentation, and publication were all part of the process of scientific discovery. Thompson built an electrical system that he and um, Houston presented to the Franklin Institute. They got business backers to help them market their lighting system, and they used it to develop, to develop lighting for a bakery that needed lighting because it was open all night long, and for a brewery that had similar requirements. And Thompson began to believe that he was putting much more invention and thinking into the business. In 1880, Thompson was approached by Frederick Churchill, a young lawyer from New Britain, Connecticut, who had just organized the American Electric Company. So he left Philadelphia and took with him one of his students from Central High School by the name of Edwin Rice, who was to become his lifelong business associate uh, in, in Lynn as well. In Connecticut, Thompson focused on improving the arc lighting system. But believe it or not, customers for electric systems really had to be created because there wasn't really yet a market for commercial lighting systems. So American Electric was struggling. Meanwhile, in Lynn, Massachusetts, Silas Barton, Henry Pavier, who was uh, a stationer, and Charles Coffin, a shoe manufacturer, were looking to invest. They wanted to make money. It was 1882. Electrical lighting looked like a great investment for them. Barton and Pavier went to Boston where they heard an electric lighting system had been installed in a shop on Tremont Street. They slipped down the back stairs where the dynamo to power the installation was located, and they found a brass plate that read, American Electric, New Britain, Connecticut. The next day, they traveled to New Britain, where they met Thompson and his associate, Wilbur Rice. Coffin and Previer convinced Thompson to let them buy the American Electric Company, leave New Britain, and form a company with them in Lynn. Coffin gathered a group of investors, and they met with Thompson in Silas Barton's office. Thompson told the assembled men that if the Thompson-Houston patents were marketed, 
they would bring financial success to those who assembled there. Coffin's famous statement, why do we delay? Let's go ahead and do it at once. So they formed the Lynn Syndicate, which brought American Electric to Lynn. As the American Electric Company, they installed street lighting at 166 Market Street in Lynn, and the merchants in the area began to subscribe to their service. Market Street was to be the first commercial street lighting in New England. The electrical business was new and presented challenges which were substantially without precedent. Believe it or not, folks, people generally just didn't appreciate the need or the value of electricity. They had gas lighting, and there were a few who had the courage and the necessary capital to buy and install the apparatus, but customers didn't really exist. They had to be created, and that's what the Lynn Syndicate did uh, under the leadership of uh, Charles Coffin. From 1883 to 1892, the workforce in Lynn jumped from 45 men to 3,500 men. They built a factory in Lynn and the General Electric Company was born. Thomas Edison, who had been working in New York and New Jersey, joined the company as a consultant, and Charles Coffin became the president. Uh, in 1884, before leaving New Britain, Connecticut, Thompson uh, met and became engaged to a young woman by the name of Mary Louise Peck. After their marriage, they lived in Lynn until 1889. In 1889, using the same business acumen and foresight that he had demonstrated in science and business, Thompson purchased a prime piece of land overlooking the Atlantic Ocean from the Swampscott Land Trust, which had designed the area under the supervision of no other than Frederick Law Olmsted. And there, Thompson was to have a home built for his family. Before I go on and talk to you about the house that Thompson built with uh, his architect, I'd like to give you a very brief summary of Elihu Thompson's career achievements. They were extraordinary. He acquired 696 patents over his lifetime. He's still one of the leading patent holders in America. He invented and built the first cream separator. He was acting president of MIT from 1920 to 1923, he was asked to become the president, but declined because he felt that the research that he wanted to do would be hindered by the administrative work that would be required. He invented alternating current uh, dynamo in 1887. He developed an arc lighting system and an incandescent lighting system. He invented the electrical welding transformer he invented the muffler for automobiles. He invented the recording watt meter, which measures electric power used by customers. He invented the induction repulsion motor. And he established the strategy of continuous product innovation at GE, which was soon followed by uh, other countries all over America. As far as his awards were concerned, he was recipient of the Edison Medal, 
the highest honor of electrical research. He was awarded the Franklin Medal from the Franklin Institute, and he was awarded a Doctor of Science from Harvard. He designed and built a telescope for his private observatory, which sat on the grounds of his Swampscott home for many years, and you've probably seen photographs of it. Um, the uh, observatory was removed and is now in Philadelphia. He was also awarded the first U.S. patent for an X-ray tube in the United States. He spent a considerable amount of time um, doing research on X-rays, uh, which enabled GE to manufacture the first commercial x-ray system in America. All right, so let me tell you a bit about the history of the Elihu Thompson House, which uh, you are familiar with, I'm sure. The Thompson House was built in 1889 and designed by the architect James T. Kelly in the Georgian Revival style. And it was built for his wife and their four sons, Stuart, Roland, Malcolm, and Daniel. Thompson specified no interior decoration in the plans because he wanted to implement the final design. He uh, designed and built a steam boiler to heat the house. And an electrical lighting system was also installed, but there are uh, and continue to be eight fireplaces in the house. The second floor of the carriage house was designed and built to accommodate a laboratory for his work so that when he wasn't working at GE, he could work at home. The carriage house was connected to the main house by a bridge that Thompson accessed by a door on the second floor opposite the staircase. If you go to the second floor of Town Hall today and walk around on the second floor, you can actually open that door. There's a wall behind it, but you will know now that that door was the entrance to the bridge, which no one could use but Elihu. That's where he went and studied and uh, researched in private. He also installed a pipe organ, the one that he built as a teenager, and he had it brought to Swampscott from Philadelphia, and the pipes were installed in a grid above the second floor ceiling. So if you, if you venture to Town Hall on the second floor and look up, you will see the grid that was uh, placed there for that very purpose. And then he built the observatory, which he designed, and, and as I indicated earlier, installed on the front lawns. He also built a miniature railroad about 100 yards long for the enjoyment of Stuart, Roland, Malcolm, and Daniel. He donated land uh, eventually, uh, the land next to his home, uh, and gave it to the town of Swampscott for a town library. Sadly, uh, Mary Louise Thompson passed away in 1916 and uh, Thompson was alone for several years. But in 1922, Thompson married again, a woman by the name of Clarissa Hovey, who continued to live at the house. 
And Thompson lived and created and um, mixed with people from all over the world, uh, professional, professional people. Um, uh, every uh, people came to the house from everywhere: uh, Westinghouse, Tesla, um, academics, everybody. Um, when I'm in the house today, and I'm in that living room uh, that the selectmen used to meet at, I stand there and often. I think about the people who had been there to visit Thompson over the years. At the age of 83, Thompson passed away and the house was empty for a bit. Now, Swampscott, during all of this time, had built a, a town hall on Borough Street uh, in 1861. But the town hall, uh, which also housed the town library and many, many town departments, uh, was uh, not in good shape and believed to be uh, inadequate. So uh, in, by 1943, it just needed too much work to, uh, to be maintained. And a committee was formed consider, to consider the purchase of the house for a town hall. In 1944, the committee report read in part, and I quote, the preservation of the estate is a memorial to a world famous scientist, a benefactor of humanity. It is hoped that this public edifice and its grounds, the gateway to the town, will help to preserve Swampscott's character as a community of residential attractiveness. At town meeting, the town voted 112 to 16 in favor of purchasing the house, which was sold to the town as a partial gift for $30,000 and valued at the time as close to $100,000. With very few exceptions, the interior was left intact as when it was built. Everything was left as it was. Nine offices were created on the ground floor, eight on the second floor, and six rooms at the top, which is where the children lived and was a nursery and also a place for uh, 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 people who for the house, um, the top rooms on the top floor were not used. So um, the town built the town hall and moved into the town hall, and um, it was a huge success. And that's where it was uh, for years, as it uh, as it was. And uh, in 1982, the red slate tile tiles on the roof were removed. The roof was relined and the tiles were replaced. One of the pillars on the front of the house was removed and replaced with an exact replica. And I'll give you, um, I'll tell you right now, it was the right front pillar. So if you um, ask friends which pillar was the replacement, you know it was the right front pillar. In 2002, the architectural firm of Reinhardt Associates was engaged to study and upgrade the building to the building code and a huge and very extensive comprehensive plan was created with every effort made to preserve both the interior and the exterior design. Um, 
the work was done uh, under the aegis of our then town administrator, uh, Andrew Mailer, and it was uh, funded with grants in part, as was the earlier 1982 re renovation. Uh, and the work was done by Northeast Interiors uh, as the general contractors. Um, very little, under the circumstances, considering all the work that was done to the house, very, very little was, um, was not restored. Every effort was made to maintain the building as it was originally. The one major um, alteration was uh, the window seats. If you look at photographs of the house, and we do have some in a corridor on the first floor, there were window seats at the rear of the house. Uh, they were removed, and there were four steps leading to the main vestibule, which were also removed because they prevented the, uh, the building from be being handicapped accessible. The original boiler was replaced with a gas boiler, and a comprehensive fire alarm system was installed and a complete sprinkler system, uh, and um, air conditioning was installed throughout the building, as well as an elevator to make the building completely handicapped accessible. A meeting room was installed at the rear of the first floor, where many, um, the, the finance committee and other town committees meet today. Um, and then a connector was built on the second floor to connect the main house to the carriage house where Professor Thompson did his research. Um, the attic was finished for offices and every interior surface of the house was painted and the floors carpeted. But as I said before, um, the house as it exists today with the exception of the removal of the uh, window seating at the back of the house was exactly as it looked uh, when Thompson lived in it. And in some cases, they had to lower the ceilings a bit to put in the electrical uh, uh, material to uh, accomplish what was being done. But um, it was done, it was, the ceiling was lowered a bit and then concealed. So today, the Elihu Thompson House uh, Town Hall is a National Historic Landmark, and it's sited at the entrance to the Olmstead National Historic District, a beautiful site when you drive into Swampscott from south of uh, Swampscott. Uh, I, I have to say that um, I, I was very much uh, influenced by uh, a few individuals who sparked me in really what has become a lifelong uh, flame of interest and appreciation for the life of Elihu Thompson and uh, the town hall that he, the home that he built, which became our town hall. And I, I really would like to um, mention some of these people to you, uh, not, not only for my own reasons, but also because you may know them and if you yourselves want to do research on the house, they are a great starting point for you. The first person is Ed Riccio. Ed was the custodian um, who was maintaining the house in the 1980s and 1990s and oversaw the care of the town hall. Ed loved the building and he introduced me to its 
historic architecture and the life of the brilliant owner who created it. Uh, we talked for years about that building and uh, its grandeur. Dale Milne, her last name is spelled M-I-L-N-E, is Elihu Thompson's great-granddaughter. And Dale uh, became involved with the um, work that we did and participated in our, in our um, doing the research we did on uh, Thompson. And the uh, Milne family has also bequeathed some wonderful um, artifacts and heirlooms to the town. The rug, which is on the hall uh, wall on the second floor, uh, the desk, which was uh, once the, the um, uh, belonged to Thompson, and the, the family portraits on the wall were all gifts to the town by Dale. Of course, Louis Gallo, who is our unofficial town historian, um, <laughs> Louis has an amazing memory and has over the years shared our history and archives with everyone. And finally, um, I'd like to mention a man by the name of uh, Dr. W. Bernard Carlson. Uh, Bernie Carlson wrote a book called The Innovation, um, Innovation as a Social Process, Elihu Thompson and the Rise of General Electric, 1870 to 1900. Um, Dr. Carlson was and is a historian of technology who studies the career of inventors and entrepreneurs in order to educate future engineering leaders. He's chair of the Engineering and Society Department at the University of Virginia. He's authored three books, the first one about Thompson and the most recent one uh, of the story of the life of Nicole Tesla. Finally, I, I want to give my thanks to Andrew Mailer who uh, was a former town administ administrator at uh, Swampscott Town Hall for many years, moved on to North Andover, and uh, is now working as the comptroller for the uh, state of Massachusetts. Andrew was very interested and very involved in the uh, restoration of the town hall and uh, did a fabulous job in working with the um, Historical Commission to raise funds and accomplish all that he did. I hope you've enjoyed my talk on Elihu and his history and the Town Hall history, and we look forward to having you join us soon. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to talk about one of my favorite topics. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. That was fascinating. I have to be so impressed by someone. Um, you indicated that that he knew about electricity and that other people knew about it, but he had the vision to look to see what it could become. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's so impressive. Um, and then also um, that through him, we were able to have and preserve the building where he lived to be our town hall. Um, and it's, uh, I, I'm grateful to all the people who participated in having it become our town hall and then to have maintained it and um, renovated it. That was such a big project. And um, 
I know <laughs> there were probably many sleepless nights where people worked on how to get that done. And um, I think it's been really, really good for the town. Um, so thank you so much, Sylvia, for sharing it. And um, thank you for our listeners. And we'll say goodbye. <laughs>